0: The reading today is from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45, which you can find on the order of service. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed them were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said,
1: Let us pray. O oh Lord, uphold me that I may uplift you, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I want to think with you for a few minutes about um, being how to be great, or the way I've slightly reframed that is how to get to the top. Um, there was a film, well, there's a book written around the late 1950s by John Brain and it was made into a film called Room at the Top. And it was about Joe Lampton, who wanted to climb the social ladder and get to the top of that ladder. And it was the third most popular film in 1959, nominated for a number of awards. And I guess it was so popular because we have got this innate desire to get to the top. And that's whether in politics, the military, Schools, education, the theatre, in any field you would find that. Um, It's something that starts very early, in my observation. As well as being a vicar, I'm chaplain to a local school, boys 8 to 13. And they come to a service every Friday, a very traditional school. And uh, six of them are appointed what's called church warden. And they get to wear a special gown, and they carry a sort of wand with an emblem on top and they lead the headmaster and me as chaplain down the aisle, and they love to have that position. They can be Jewish, atheists, Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, doesn't matter, they want to be church warden. I know enough about politics to know that people are very eager for the top position, whether it's prime minister, or secretary of state, or minister of state, or perhaps a um, special advisor to the prime minister, um, or whatever it is. And it's the same in the church. Clergy, want to be deans of cathedrals or bishops, or if you're in a more evangelical tradition, you want to be, um, you probably call them senior minister of the church with the most people and the best buildings and the most money. And clergy are every bit as ambitious. As politicians, we're perhaps just better at hiding it. Now, I don't think it's altogether wrong to want a top position. Um, Cromwell, whose statue we passed as we came in, um, said of ambition, by that sin fell the angels. And he seemed to be suggesting that ambition is always sinful, but I don't think that's true. I think the sin around ambition, as Christians would see it, is why we want it, what we want to do with that position, what we will do to get to that position. Not the thing in itself. So let's have a look at this Bible passage from Mark 10, just for a few minutes, which will help us to think uh, as Christ does about this ambition for the top position. And you'll see where I get this idea from in verses 43 to 44, where Jesus refers to wanting to become great and wanting to become first. So this is wanting the top jobs. So, in this passage, we're told that Jesus with his disciples is heading for Jerusalem. And Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and die. They completely scream that out, it just doesn't register because it doesn't fit with their worldview. So, they believe by this stage that Jesus is Messiah, which means the anointed king in the line of King David. He's heading to Jerusalem. That can only mean one thing, some kind of coup, forming a government, raising an army, ousting the Romans, restoring the glory of the Davidic Empire. So uh, they're expecting him to make Israel great again. And uh, two of the disciples, James and John, want the top jobs. They probably think they're particularly suitable. They're in the inner circle of Jesus, three disciples within the twelve. They had some money. They were able to support Jesus financially. They had connections with the the top people. We know from John that they knew the high priest. Jesus gave them a nickname, Sons of Thunder. Probably they had pretty powerful personalities. So they're thinking, we've got money, we've got contacts, we've got charisma. We're obviously the best suited for the top jobs in this empire, which is about, this kingdom which is about to be set up. And I love the way how in Matthew's gospel we're told that they send their mum to see Jesus. And you can just imagine them, can't you? say, look, look, mum, you know, Jesus listens to women more than men. So just go to him and, you know, tell him, you know, my, my lads, they're, they're great lads. And we've got this great position. We've got the money. We've got the contacts. And look, they, what they think is, one of them would be great as Chancellor of the Exchequer and one great as Foreign Secretary. Go on, Mummy, I'll listen to you. Well, what does Jesus teach about this desire for the top position? Let's answer three questions why we want it, how we get it, and where we find help to get it. See, so why do we want this top position? Well, there would be many reasons and some good reasons, but Jesus talks about some bad reasons in this passage. He says in verse 42, You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And I think there are, there are two bad motivations. One is to be regarded as rulers. And this is all about how other people see us. And James and John wanted people to stare at them in the street, they wanted the special seat, the red carpet. In our context, they wanted to be photographed uh, and then somebody to post. <coughs> OMG, guess who I saw today. The Romans, you know, invented titles for themselves so that people would use them and show their regard for them as a top person. Rather than being a senator, mere senator, they invented a new title, Clarissimus, which meant renowned. And then soon, there were too many people who were Clarissimus, so they invented the title, spectabiles, meaning wondrous to behold, and Illustres, illustrious man. They wanted to be regarded as rulers. And then they wanted to lord it over others. I guess part of them wanted to be able to tell others what to do. And I guess that is part of our desire. We want to get into that car and tell somebody else where to drive. Tell somebody else to get us a cup of coffee. And that desire drives so much in the world. Look at Ecclesiastes. says and I guess this is an overstatement, it says all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. And in the context, the envy is of power. It's not actually money, it's power. It says all toil and achievement springs from that. So there's some bad reasons why we would want that top position, but I suppose following on from that, the next question might sound odd. How do we get that top position? Because it isn't actually altogether wrong to want it. And I say that because Jesus says whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slavable. So he doesn't say that wanting to be great or first is altogether wrong. He doesn't say you shouldn't even want that. And in verse 40 he says to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to to those for whom they've been prepared. So they have been prepared for somebody and it's fine to want to be in them. In one of his parables he talks about somebody who will be put in charge of ten cities and somebody of five cities, of so charge of five cities. There will be these different positions in his glorious kingdom. Wouldn't that cause envy and rivalry? Well no, because we'll be perfect and we we'll just want to be in the position that's right for us. Won't we still misuse that position to have others regard us as great and to lord it over others? Well, no, because we'll be perfect and we'll use that position for others. But the key thing is, of course, is what's the root to that top position? And Jesus says, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slaveable. And we become great by becoming a servant. That doesn't mean being a doormat. Jesus wasn't a doormat. He didn't always do what people wanted him to do. I think so much service is about small things. We can think about great big things, but so much is small things. In the book of Acts, Dorcas is honoured because she made garments and clothes for widows. Somebody in our church Takes the little cloth we use to wipe the communion cup and uh, washes it. Nobody knows about this, it's a tiny thing, just does it every week. Following up on the passport application for a constituent. Speaking to the lonely immigrant who longs to just have somebody who'll listen and care for them. Helping a child to read who's really bored by reading and it's a slog. One translation of Titus 3.2 says show every, every courtesy to everyone. And courtesy is a form of service, isn't it? Saying hello with a smile to the bus driver. Texting thank you, a note of appreciation. And of course for Christians, we serve by sharing the word of life. We've got this wonderful young woman in our congregation, she's called Evangeline and she's got a great gift for sharing that word of life she's going out into parks in the summer at the moment she just goes up to people with a great smile she says hello i'm evangeline and i'm an evangelist and she says what would you mind telling me what you believe and then she can talk about what she believes and she's got a special gift of that But for all of us as christians one of the greatest ways we can serve people is sharing the word of life with others Perhaps we can pray generally about this serving. Lord Jesus, bring across my path somebody today whom I can serve. Now, this teaching is specifically for Christians. In this passage, Jesus explicitly contrasts this with how people outside his disciples behave. He says that's different, that's what we should expect. But of course, our culture has been wonderfully influenced by this teaching. And that's why we talk about the prime minister, minister from the word for servant. And therefore, as you well know, I know I'm telling my grandmother how to suck eggs, but it's a great thing to pray that the next prime minister would be or would more and more become somebody. He's got a vision for service. This is not about me, it's not about even just my party about the nation. Let's pray for that. So finally, we've talked about some bad reasons for wanting to get to the top. How we get there, which is by service. Finally, where can we find help to get to that position? In other words, where can we find help to be servants? And the answer to that is in the little word, for, at the beginning of verse 45. Jesus teaches his followers to be servants, and then he says, For. The son of man, that's himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And of course he's talking about giving his life on the cross. Where is the help? It's at the cross. The cross of Christ. How does that work? Well partly it's being just inspired by that example. Here is the one who's the maker of the starry skies. The maker of the billions of stars and planets in the universe. The Lord of Lords, the one before, before whom everyone will bow. Washing feet, making breakfast, dying on a cross. There's an inspiration in that. But that on its own is not enough. That would be like giving me a copy of Shakespeare's Hamlet and saying, go and write the same. I can't do it. No, we're helped mainly by being emancipated by his sacrifice. He calls his death a ransom. And that was the word used for setting a slave free. And each of us, we're a prisoner to the dark little dungeon of our own ego. We need to be set free from that. And it is by believing and trusting, well, as Michael has said about in that grace at the cross, that we find a power is released in our lives to become more servant-like, to begin to release us from the power and demands of that ego to serve others. Sometimes people need to have a pacemaker fitted in their hearts. Their heart isn't quite beating properly and this pacemaker kicks in with an electrical impulse. And believing and trusting in this ransomed earth is like having a pacemaker fitted in our heart. The beating heart of service is helped within us. So there we have it. What's the route to the top? Service. Being a servant. And most of us, I guess, and certainly this is very much true of me, are aware of how far short of this ideal we fall. But let's go out confident. Not in ourselves, but the power of the ransoming death of Jesus knowing that we will lament at how much progress we've made, but saying with John Newton, I am not what I ought to be, I'm not what I wish to be, I'm not what I hope to be, but by the grace of God, I am not what I was. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that little by little, by the power of the cross, we may walk more in your likeness. And may we do that, you the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Amen.